in Colossians chapter 1. This is a wonderful passage that's got a, a great prayer for us to be praying for ourselves, for our families, and for our church. If you're a church leader, if you're a deacon, if you're a Sunday school teacher, or a leader in another capacity, like a small group leader, or anything else in our church family, I would encourage you, these would be great verses for you to memorize. These were ones I had to memorize when I was a student at Liberty University, and I was in spiritual leadership there. And Dwayne Carson, who was our campus pastor, had us commit these to memory and be praying for those under our influence every day. Now, we're not going to look at it exactly the same way that Dwayne did this morning, and uh, we're probably not going to go as deep into it as we typically would on a regular Sunday. But what I do want us to do this morning is look at this wonderful passage and look at it in two different sections. First, we're going to be looking at the request that Paul makes. And then we're going to be looking at what the results of that are. So he makes a a pretty incredible request that we're going to look at. And then we're going to see what are the implications of what he's praying for the church at Colossae. So with that in mind, go ahead and dive into this with me. Go ahead and read. uh, We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Now, look at this with me as we go through. Like I mentioned, first we're going to be looking at the request that Paul makes. As we look at the request that Paul makes, read verse 9 with me again. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking, and this is the request, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul's praying that the believers at Colossae would know fully and understand God's will. You know, God's will, it can be somewhat of a a scary topic sometimes. It intimidates people. But you can think about God's will basically as summarized as what he desires to accomplish in, through, and around us. So that's God's will, what God wants to happen. God has a plan, and Paul is praying that the Colossians would have as clear an understanding of his plan as God wants them to have. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I breeze past words like that, fill idea too quickly. He said that he wants them to be filled with the understanding of God's will. Well, as they're looking at this, uh, let's kind of take a a second and think about that idea. Think about filling something up. It has the idea of completeness, right? The request would be that they would be full of the knowledge of God's will. Now, let's look at what Paul's not praying, though. Paul isn't praying that although they would be filled with the knowledge of God, or knowledge of God's will, rather. He's not praying that they would be filled with all the knowledge that God has. Now, now track with me. He's not praying that they would be filled up with the knowledge of everything that God is and everything that's going to do. He's praying that God would fill them to their capacity to understand his will. Maybe an illustration would help. I like visual things, and I hope that you'll be able to see this well on your screen. But I have a picture of water here. Now, if we think about this picture of water being everything that God wills, everything that God desires, and this is us. Now, if I sit here and I fill this cup completely with water, as I do, you'll notice that we get to a point where the cup is completely filled, okay? I'm going to make it really, yeah, I wish you could see it right now. Uh, If I pick this up, it's going to spill over because there's no room left in the cup to be able to hold any more water. But now let me ask you a question. Is there still water in the pitcher? 
Well, the answer is obviously yes. The, the pitcher can hold more than the cup. So when we think about understanding and knowing God's will, we have to understand that as God gives us his understanding of his will and answer to this prayer and the prayer of others, that we'll be filled up with all that we can understand. But that doesn't mean that we're going to know everything that God knows. That doesn't mean that we're going to understand everything that God sees about what he desires to accomplish. The Bible is full of examples of this. If you want a good summary overview of men and women who lived their lives doing what God called them to do and revealing and what God revealed to them at the time without knowing everything that was in the picture, I would encourage you to spend some time this afternoon reading through the chapter of Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 11. When you go through that chapter, you'll see a number of different accounts of different men and women of God that God used in great ways who didn't have any idea what the next step would be, but they were filled with the knowledge of God's will as to what they were supposed to do next. I love this quote from John Piper that I've given to you before. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. God's doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may only be aware of three of them. So part of our challenge as believers is to say, am I willing to take what I know of what God said and trust him with the rest? Am I willing to obey what God has told me he's, uh, that I'm supposed to do? Or am I going to be sitting here twiddling my thumbs and waiting for him to show me everything that's actually beyond my ability to, to hold or to understand? Now, you'll notice this isn't something that you could figure out on your own. If it was, Paul would say that you would have it, not that you would be filled up with. Just like I filled this cup, the cup didn't fill itself. In a similar kind of way, God has to fill us with the understanding of his will. Now, before we start getting too, uh, too weird, one thing I want you to remember is God will never tell you to do anything that is not in line with his will, okay? And that means that as God's speaking to you, you, and, and let's get real honest about this. Sometimes people get really unique upset and kind of confused about what it means for God to speak. Let me give you a key, key fundamental principle in understanding God's will and understanding what God's speaking, okay? As you look at what God's saying to you and how God's working in your life and the things that are going around you, the standard by which you measure everything you feel, everything you think, everything you see is God's word. This is how God speaks to us today. He takes his word, and by his Holy Spirit who lives inside us, he makes it real to us, makes us understand what's going on, and to see the world around us. Now, God does speak through his church as they affirm what they see God doing, and God speaks to us through prayer and does move in our hearts, but it will never, ever, ever contradict what God says in his word. That's why the psalmist said the key to understanding what God wants is to treasure his word. That's why he said in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So my challenge to you this morning is, are you sitting around waiting for God to somehow maybe you know, give you a billboard or a sign about what you're supposed to do next, while at the same time ignoring the fact that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness out of this book right here? You see, now, it's not going to say, you know, as you read through this, that thou shalt marry so-and-so, or thou shalt quit this job and take this one, or those kind of things. However, as God starts working in our heart and we walk in obedience to what he has revealed to us, then we can trust that he's guiding us. And that's what Paul's praying. 
that the, that the church at Colossae, and then as we pray this for ourselves and others, that we too would take God's word, that we would understand God's will as he's expressed it in his word, and that we would walk accordingly, that we would be filled up with all of that. Now, here's my challenge for you. Sometimes we want to seek God's will as to like what the next career move may be, or relationship move, or how I'm supposed to react to this situation or that, while not being willing to react to the clear things that God has said in his word. So here's a question for you this morning. Is there anything that God has clearly revealed in Scripture that you're supposed to be doing that you're not? Is there anything that he's told you that you're not supposed to do, but you are? Now, the Bible refers to those things as sin, by the way. So is there sin that you're doing that you need to stop? Is there something that God's calling you to do in obedience to him that you're refusing to do? Well, that's God's will for your life. I can't necessarily answer the big picture questions about what the future will hold for you in the next 10 years, but I can tell you today that if you know of a sin in your own life that you've not confessed and repented and made right, then that's where you start. That is the will of God for you. But Paul prayed that the church at Colossae would be filled with an understanding of his knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, it's interesting because that it sounds like a great prayer, but how many of you guys have known something or known someone who, who's really good at a particular topic? They've got a lot of academic knowledge about it, but it doesn't change anything about the way they live. They may be able to spout out quotes. They may be able to tell you this or that or the other, but it doesn't actually impact anything about them. That's not what Paul's praying here. He's not praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in some kind of uh, academic sense so we would have a, a kind of mystical ability to see what's beyond us or anything like that. Instead, he's acting, asking us something very practically. He's asking for God to fill us with the knowledge of his will so that it would work out in a particular way of life. So read with me again verse, verses 10 through 11 where we see that specifically. So that... So he's filling with the knowledge of his will, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Now this is the results of the prayer that Paul has been praying. It's not supposed to just be some kind of head knowledge, but it's supposed to play itself out in the way that we live. In fact, the first way that we look at the results of this is that Paul's praying that we would fill with the knowledge of God's will so that we could live a God-honoring life. Now, we see this often in the, the biblical idea of walking, in the way that we conduct our life, the, the path in which we go, the, the way we walk as believers. In a general sense, that walk is the way that we live our lives. When God shows us his will, he's enabling us to live the kind of life that honors him. By the way, shouldn't that be our goal? I love this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul writes, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Now, it's interesting when you think about that idea of pleasing the commanding officer. Do you have an understanding of God It helps you to see that the way you live, the way you act, that you can actually please God. I mean, isn't that what the Bible says? That that as we honor him as our commanding officer, as we submit ourselves to his leadership, to his lordship, to his guidance, that, that as we do that, as we're filled with the knowledge of his will and walking according to what we know is his desire, we can actually please God. C.S. Lewis said this in a message about 75 years ago. He said, to please God, 
to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. You see, when you and I are filled with the knowledge of his will and we live our lives that actually please the great, powerful creator God of the universe. Now, some of you had parents that you could never please. You've worked for a boss that no matter how hard you work, you can never do anything right. Maybe you've had conflict with your spouse or you look at the way that you raised your children and looking at the way they respond to you. And when you put it all together, you feel like there's no one who could ever be pleased with the way that you live. Guys, listen to me. Listen not just to me, but to God's word. Verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Isn't that incredible to think that you and I could actually please God? See, as we're walking according to the knowledge of his will, doing what God's shown us and and following in response, we see that we start bearing fruit for him. That's what he says, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Elsewhere, Paul writes about what that fruit looks like. He says it's going to be things like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. See, go back and read those again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Boy, isn't that what you want your life to look like? I know it's what I want my life to look like. I want my life to honor God in such a way that that my life is full of joy and love and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to honor God that way. Not only that, but Paul said that leaving a life, living a life that's led this way leads us to a greater knowledge of God. That's the cycle that Henry Blackaby discusses in the, the study Experiencing God. As we obey God, we come to know him in greater ways, which encourages us to obey even more, and we keep seeing God work this way. So we need to be praying that we'll understand his will, not just so we can figure out what's going on, but so that we can live a life that honors him, bearing fruit in everything, pleasing him, and that it increases our knowledge of him. Now, if we're full of the knowledge of his will, walking in a manner worthy of him, then this is not going to be a one-time deal. Our life will be characterized by ongoing obedience. And that's why Paul's aim in his prayer is not that we would just kind of get this right one time, but that we would also live it consistently. The other result is that we would live a God-honoring life, not just one day of the week, not just on Sunday mornings when we're able to gather together, or not even just in that one time you ask that waitress if you could pray for her, but that the consistent tenor of our life would be that we're living in a God-honoring way. Look back at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now, even if we know what God's will is, obedience to God isn't easy, especially in a culture that seems to be drifting farther and farther away from Christ-likeness. We also don't have as much information as we'd like, so sometimes we think if I just knew you know, three or four steps down the road, it would be a lot easier for me to do this because I know how it would go play out. You know, It's kind of like if you work out. You know that if you, uh, if you know what the workout looks like, you may not go so hard in the first part, or you may put a little bit more energy here because you know you've, you don't have much at the back end of the workout, so, so you adjust accordingly. But God doesn't give us that. 
God simply says, this is what we're supposed to do, and he doesn't always give us an idea of what's next or what's coming or what's around the river bend. No, in fact, that's why it's so encouraging that we see that our obedience is not in our own strength. It is God's strength that enables us to carry out what he calls us to do. Look again at verse 11. Be strengthened with all power. That's not within you because it says that power is according to his glorious might. That word might has the connotation of power that overcomes resistance, and it's only used of God in the New Testament. No other time is it ever used to talk about our strength or the strength of anybody else. It's used to refer to God's might, his power to overcome resistance, to give us the strength to walk in obedience to his will as he reveals it to us. Stop and think about it. God wants you to obey him. So he teaches you his will, and then he gives you the strength and enables you to do it. And that's how it works in the last part just makes sense. God gives strength and it never runs out, right? So that you may have great endurance and patience. Those are not two words that we really like in our world, is it? I mean, I like things to be over quickly. I like to not have to worry about much. I don't like to have to have endurance. To have that day in and day out, day in and day out, and day in and day out, and day in and day out routine. We get tired of the banana joke, right? The knock, knock, who's there? Banana, banana who? Knock, knock, who's there? Banana, banana who? And it goes on and on and on until finally you say, knock, knock, who's there? Orange, orange who? Orange, you glad I didn't say banana, right? It's a terrible joke, but it's also a tough reality. Sometimes life feels like banana, 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 banana. You're fighting this over and over and over again, and you're just exhausted. Hey, guys, listen, if we're exhausted if we're worn out from doing what God's called us to do, that means we've stopped doing it according to the strength that's according to his powerful might, and we're doing it in our own power. We're trusting in ourselves. Now, guys, some days the Christian life is going to be exhausting, and we'll just collapse at his feet. But as we start to fatigue, we need to make a, a good, hard look to see if it's because I'm trying to do it my way. I'm trying to live my life on my own. Endurance is the idea of being able to stay under a load. Um, For a silly illustration, have you ever jumped in cold water, right? Uh, If you've ever jumped in cold water or if you want a real fun experience right now, go to your shower this afternoon and take a shower on full cold. It's freezing. If you haven't built up the endurance to do it, everything in your body is going to scream, jump out of here and go get warm. Endurance is the ability to stay there instead of jumping out. It is difficult to live the Christian life. Our own hearts are still so inclined to sin and the world around us is so more than happy to sell us anything that we want that it's so difficult for us to keep walking. But the goal of our Christian life is that we would walk consistently, enduringly, with patience. Patience is that idea of waiting with a calm, quiet strength. Waiting in the Christian life is not a passive experience. Instead, it's an active trust. It's as though we're on the starting blocks, ready to go off the line. Our sails are set. We're ready for God to send the wind. It's this idea of actively waiting for God to work. Waiting to get through a tough situation, waiting for God to answer a prayer, fighting an ongoing battle with sin, all gets frustrating. But when we know that God's working his plan, that he's equipping us to live a life that honors him, we can face even the most difficult situations with calm and grace. Now, in fact, it's interesting because this passage points us to one who's done it perfectly. You see, the Bible teaches us that all of us have sinned and we've all walked away from God and who God created and called us to be. 
We've all broken that relationship with him, and spiritually we're dead. The only way for us to be made spiritually alive was for God as to take on flesh and to die in my place. As Jesus did that, as he came and he walked among us, you know that there's those moments where he was tempted by Satan to abandon God's will and follow Satan's design, and he, of course, rejected that and followed the will of the Father. Then you find the night before he was betrayed, before he was to be brutally killed, you find him there in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, God, not my will, but yours be done. In fact, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to look to Jesus this way because he says that we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Just like Paul prayed here, Jesus submitted to God's will, endured the cross, and did so for the joy that would come. Have you ever surrendered your life to him, by the way? You know, you may be trying to figure out life on your own and been trying to figure out what your purpose is, what your identity is, and you've been floundering with that. Guys, let me tell you, with the greatest love I can muster, I want you to understand that the only identity that you need is your identity in Christ. God created you for a love relationship with him that is real and personal and has a purpose and a plan for your life that looks different than the plan for mine in many ways. However, I know this. This is where you start. If you've never done this, then God's will for you would be that you surrender your life to following him as Savior and Lord. That you stop trying to figure it out on your own and turn and trust the God who died in your place and was risen from the dead to offer you new life. So today, you can make that decision. Simply tell God, I know I've sinned. I know I've gotten away from you. I know I've fallen short, but I want to turn to trusting in you, and I commit to putting you in charge. The Bible uses the word Lord for that. It says that we confess Jesus as Lord, and that means that we're saying, God, you're in charge. You're in control. I'm not your co-pilot. You're not my co-pilot. I'm going where you tell me to go. I'm doing what you tell me to do. I'm sitting in the back seat, and that's how it is. So surrender to him today. However, if you're here today and you know Jesus as you're watching this and you've, you know you've surrendered to him, my question is, are you growing in your knowledge of God's will? Growing in the knowledge of God's will means that you're going to be growing in the knowledge of God's word. You're going to be st- spending time prayerfully reading and studying who God is and all that he said and all that he's done. As he guides you, the question then is, when you're confronted with where you've fallen short, either in something you should do that you're not, something you shouldn't do that you are, a a thought pattern that's not pleasing to God and in line with his desires, what are you doing with that? If God's filling you with the knowledge of his will that that's not okay, then are you surrendering those things? Are you forsaking them? Are you seeking to grow or have you just become complacent? Maybe for you, you've been spending too much time trying to figure out what's in the picture. You've been looking at a situation and you say, I I don't know, God, why you're allowing this. I know this is what's going on. I know you're behind it. I know you've got a plan. I know you've got a purpose. But you've been trying to obsess over what's in the picture. And the reality is God's given you enough to know what's next. Walk in obedience and faith. Do so with patience, with endurance, and with joy. Yeah, you may have questions about something I've said today or questions about what it looks like to follow Jesus, I would encourage you, please give me a phone call or send us a text message. This is to the church office, but that does get forwarded to my cell phone. So that number is 540-394-3200. 
feel free to call or text us at any point this week so that we can touch base with you. We can sit down if you're comfortable sitting down over coffee. I would love to buy you a cup of coffee and talk about what Jesus can do in your life, what it looks like to follow God or how to know God's will better. This afternoon, I already challenged you to go back and read Hebrews 11 and again, remember what it looks like to obey God even when you don't know everything that's going on. And then I would also encourage you to take some time both today and this week to pray this prayer for yourself, for your family, for your church, that God would fill us with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we would walk in a manner worthy of him, bearing fruit in every good work. Okay? Well, thank you for joining with us online this morning. We hope that this has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful that you have allowed us to live in a time when we can still study it together, even when we're apart. So we pray that as we have looked at your word today, that if you've spoken to our hearts and convicted us, we pray that we would not forget that when we turn off the stream, but instead we would focus on following you every moment of every day. We trust you knowing that you know what's next, you know what's best, and that we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will. Help us to have the strength that we need according to your powerful might to be able to obey you and do what you've called us to do. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.